0: We now go live to the status of the Cleveland Indians. You are listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back Spencer. I'm the one that get the ball. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unboard. Well, we've said it about 3,000 times this season on this podcast, and welcome to it. It's TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel, the Selby is Godcast, where you can find us on Twitter at TJ Zupi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast as well. You looked at the standings, you couldn't figure out why they are, where they're at, how they're hanging around the division, all of the injuries to the rotation, missing key guys in the offense. When is this going to catch up to them? I think you got your answer, at least this weekend with the Houston Astros. What's up, buddy? <laughs> More importantly, look, I know we have a bunch of
1: Patreon subscribers now, but can we afford the $10,000 tab that's coming our way to be able to play a Tom Petty <laughs> song?
0: I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't hear anything. Did you? I just heard the sound of my bank account. Um, <laughs> what what, what little bank account you have left after all of the hey. free drinks that you're handing out to, to our listeners. They're not so free for you. <laughs> I've learned a couple things. Number one, um,
1: ballpark beers are not cheap, man. <laughs> it's just brutal. Uh, but I'm happy to do it. It's been great. I, I mean, we hear from people, you see people's avatars on Twitter and, maybe you know them that way, but uh, to be able to put faces to names and actually meet some of our listeners has been awesome. And uh, so shout out to those who have taken me up on the promise I have made for, what, four years now. Leave us a five-star review, subscribe to our Patreon
0: page, and uh, they'll treat you to a $28 beer, whatever it costs. Yeah, you were one of the few people in the world that were happy that Bars weren't open. People weren't at the ballparks because that meant you could evade everybody for a full year and just hope that that day would never come when someone would send you a text message, a Twitter DM that said, hey, I'm at today's game. Why don't you come buy me that beer you've been talking about? Here's my five star review. Here's the proof that I'm a Patreon supporter for only a dollar per episode over at Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. You my friend are helping people power through a pretty tough, a pretty tough stretch for the Cleveland Indians. So you're doing your part.
1: Yeah. And it was also nice. I think it was uh Friday night. I met a, a nice fan and his significant other, and we stood in line together because the ballpark was packed. It was nice to see that. So I, you know, I didn't mind standing in line for 15 minutes or so waiting to uh, purchase a, what was that? Was that a, can't even remember. Maybe a Great Lakes, one well, of their beers that night. I think there was a Miller Light one time. There was a pretty expensive IPA up in Minneapolis. It's uh, it's been fun. So keep doing that, and I'm happy to do it. And um more to come on that front in terms of us maybe being face to face with our avid fans, uh, pretty soon. But back to your original question. Um Yeah, who didn't see this coming? I mean, I think the Indians have defied expectations for months now, so it only makes sense that they would have a weekend where they did exactly what
0: everyone thought they would do. I thought this weekend, if I could sum it up in one word, excruciating. That's how I thought about this series, and for a number of different reasons. You had the Grand Slam on Thursday by Altuve after the fans give it to him in his first two at-bats, he comes up, big swing against J.C. Mejia, we talked about that on the Patreon show. Then you had the the team leaving a small village on base. I think that was the three-run output game where they – how many guys got stranded in that game? 14, 15, 17, 22? 64s.
1: It might have been. Now.
0: You might have – if you told me that was the case, I would believe you. Um, and so it, it was a game that – it was a three-run deficit, but felt like they were constantly hanging in there because they just kept having traffic, couldn't come up with the base, big base hit. That happened a lot this entire weekend. Then you had a pair of one-run games and then the finale on Sunday. They fight back. You got the two home runs by Rosario and Hernandez who have caught a lot of flack on, on this podcast for not being the vet- veteran steadying presence. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Cesar Hernandez is only one home run shy of his career high.
0: Well, I was going to say, credit to them. They come up with the two oh. home runs on Sunday. Put but wait, them
1: even with even with that power surge, game. his slugging percentage is identical to what it's been the last two years. Never Weird. mind.
0: Well, A lot of that was fueled, uh, if you just look at probably ISO, the ISO would indicate there's more power in there. But the uh, slugging percentage in past years, more propped up by batting average than it's been this year. That's an entirely different story. And then you have the wild pitch and then an error, the double play not turned because Klossé is running over to first base. That's how a run scores. And then to make that even, I mean, could it be any bigger punch to the gut because you're thinking a run scores, but this is still extra innings. So you begin with a runner at second base. How do you <laughs> how do you just punch your fans right in this gut just by sa- attempting a sacrifice? That's one even if that goes to plan, okay, you put a runner at third base. It's probably not what I would do in that situation, but I guess there's some logic behind it. You're just no, trying to get that runner to the third hitters third base. Or two up, but it makes it even worse when it's popped up. It's a poorly executed bunt and it turns into a double play. And then you have no shot to come back and win that game. So if there was a single word I could use to describe this entire weekend, excruciating.
1: Yeah. I mean, Look, you don't want to face Houston with without Bieber, Plesac, Savali, and Jose Ramirez. And Framil Reyes was making his way back. Roberto Perez making his way back. But that wasn't the issue. I mean, the issue was you didn't hit. And, I mean, Houston's lineup didn't have Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, Michael Brantley only played uh, parts of the series. So... I don't know. You had an opportunity. I, you, I think, you should have gotten out of this with at least a win, if not two. But they didn't hit, and we've said it: the offense for this team to survive this stretch until you get your starting pitchers back, you need the offense to be firing. And for a while, they were. It helped that they were playing Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Minnesota and Detroit and whatnot. But the offense was much better in June, and you saw Bobby Bradley's emergence. Eddie Rosario picked it up. Ahmed Rosario picked it up. Jose Ramirez was Jose Ramirez when he was in the lineup. But you know, you've know, you got a six-game losing streak, and they've scored a grand total of 15 runs in those six games. That's not going to get it done, especially when you're relying on a
0: patchwork rotation. So I think the thing that makes it even more painful, though, is because those chances were there. Yep, It's one thing to get completely shut down, it's another thing to ha- to create the chances and feel like you're 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 right there to a point where the the games are exciting to the end and you're biting your nails because there are opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and every single one of them just not taken advantage of. That that's what makes it to me more painful about this weekend is that you're right. They should have emerged with at least one win, and you could put some of it, hey, well, the, the starting pitching is what the starting pitching is. Well, the last two games of the series, the starting pitching was okay. Bullpen kept you in the game a number of times this weekend after even the, the first two games. So it wasn't like it's, you could point to, well, it's just because you don't have your, your starting rotation. Well, the, the biggest missing factor is you don't have Jose Ramirez, and that's fair. And the Indians operate from a much smaller uh, margin for error than the Houston Astros do offensively f- for sure. But still, the chances were there. They weren't taken advantage of, and I think that just adds to the pain. Yeah, and they—I mean—they went for the—I don't want to say jugular because it's June,
1: it's July, and you know this isn't this isn't trying to seize an opportunity in October. But they look—they they brought back Quantrill on short rest. They threw check for two innings or tried to. They threw Class A for two innings. Um, they did. Kind of go out of their way to try to steal a victory, and it just didn't happen. And then you can say, okay, well, did Quantrill throw way too many pitches on short rest? And it's easy for us to say. Um, it's easy. It's hard. It's easy for us to say that. It's hard to argue otherwise, too. Um, but yeah, I, I look, it's it's not going to get easier. You've got the Rays. You do have the Royals before the break, but then you come out with Oakland, Houston, Tampa, St. Louis, and the White Sox to close out the month. That's brutal. And so you need your pitchers back. You'll probably get Plisak back first. Beaver said he hopes to start throwing this week. Savali is getting back into things. Um, so it, it's not. it shouldn't be uh, maybe a month from now you've got all three of those guys or two of them. Um, but the bottom line is you you need the offense. And it, it hurts when you've got the problem, and this has been the issue all year, is that you know, early in the season they had, a couple guys hitting at the top of the order, whether it was Ramirez and Reyes or one of the Rosarios. Uh, the bottom of that order has just been a pit of misery all season, whether it's Ben Gammel down there or Jake Bowers or your catchers who haven't hit at all except Rene Rivera a couple times. Uh, but now you're you're going with a lineup that has like Ernie Clement or Bradley Zimmer hitting sixth or seventh. and um, You know, Yu Chang never got on track this season. It's just, it's rough. I think that's why so many of those opportunities fizzle is Because you can get, we, we've said it, this team doesn't strike out much. They don't hit for much power, but so they have to string together hits. Well, when half of your lineup is totally incapable of getting on base, you, that's how rallies go to die. So they need Jose back in there. They need Rosario to stay healthy. And then once Reyes can play every day and Roberto Perez, I mean, that helps things so much where, Maybe you've got Harold Ramirez and Bobby Bradley hitting sixth and seventh. That looks a lot better than Zimmer and Clement or Mercado or whoever it's been. So, yeah, they need health. I think every team can say that. This is, they're the Indians aren't the only team going through something like this. But as you said, they started with less margin for error. And it's like, if you could have made a list at the beginning of the season, who are the five most indispensable players on this roster that the team cannot afford to have get injured? Well, guess what? <laughs> they are all injured right now or have been in the
0: last week. So not a not an easy spot for this team. And so that w- that would make sense why the the team, if they're going to release an album, Pit of Misery would make a lot of sense there. Not just the bottom of the rotation, but just the way things have gone. You're right that a lot of teams are dealing with this, but the Indians, as we talked about, they, they operate with so little margin for error. And if the, things were going to go well this year, it would have to go to a pl- I mean, it would have to be almost perfect for this team to contend for the long run. And to this point, it's still probably even surprising that their record is what it is. Entering today, as we record this on Monday, if you would have told me everything that they would have withstood, and there's still three games above 500 to this point, right? By math is correct, and still semi hanging around with the White Sox. I guess if you want to be thankful that the White Sox dropped the final two games to Detroit, would would you have been? surprised would you have said that that's still a pleasant thing considering all the injuries that they've had now the guys out for the year the pitches that they have it's it to me still it's an, a theme we've had a number of times on this podcast but even where they're at, I think I would be surprised if you'd have told me that that the, that it would be July 5th and there were still going to be above 500 considering all things that have happened
1: yeah it's tough to it's tough to evaluate I actually kind of struggled with I wanted to write something you never want to just say the sky is falling after a rough weekend, or if they sweep the Astros, you don't want to write, Hey, this team's going to win the world. I mean, you want to try to remain even keeled because you know, the season has its ups and downs, but this one's been so difficult to qualify just because of all the injuries. And the fact that again, as we've said over and over and over, you're just trying to learn about people. And are you going to be, because I think we realize, like, this team, it's not going to be easy for them to make the playoffs this year. And it's going to take a lot of health and fortune and improved production across the board. And you're going to need other teams to falter. They're, the American League is wide open, but there are a lot of good teams. I mean, you've got four teams in the East that at least will attempt to make noise. You've got the two teams in the Central, and you've got two teams in the West. There's only five spots, so... Um, I I think we all agree the Indians odds are they're going to be on the outside looking in but can you at least be in a position where you're optimistic about what lies ahead and I don't know how to feel about that at the moment because we don't we have such an incomplete picture of what this team really is I don't know what to make of it if the season ended right now what would your recap be like what would your? How would I, you I don't know. sum up the season? Yeah, it's I, it's I, I really don't know. difficult.
0: It's I don't really know. difficult. I mean, you you would have seen glimpses, and I mean, in some ways, glimpses are nice. But this for this season to feel successful, you had to have more than just glimpses. I think, but in some cases, you're not going to get more than that. Like Josh Naylor, I am still extremely optimistic about what could become for him. There are certain things within his profile that we've talked about many times on multiple shows that reflect good things about the future that he could potentially reach a new level offensively. And that's not just you or I i have heard multiple people from a national analysis standpoint, say similar things about him and talk about the fact that it's unfortunate that he gets hurt because that's someone that you think that there's another level to unlock, but we're not going to see that this year. So you don't, I mean, I guess you answer enough questions that he's still around. He's still someone that you plan to give playing time to, but I don't know exactly what he is in center field. Do I have any more answers today than I did at the beginning of the year? Yes. Ben Gamble's not the answer. Yeah. Who would have thought? I mean, I don't know if Ahmed Rosario is the long-term option out there. Bradley Zimmer is now getting a chance, and outside of – drawing a few walks and getting hit by pitches to inflate the on-base percentage. We're not seeing anything too tremendous out of him. And I don't know how much credit to give his plate discipline because he's let a lot of strike threes go by fastballs, things that you should be swinging at. So is it just a passive attitude at the plate? And it's not really plate recognition and pitch recognition. It's just not swinging. So I guess you create some skill.
1: As you have pointed out, is his ability to get hit by pitches the last two since the start of 2020 he has 151 plate appearances. He's been hit by a pitch 12 times, which is a crazy percentage. I mean, that's Brandon Guyer territory. Um, so his on base percentage is really good, but that's it. Three extra base hits in 151 trips to the plate. That's not going to cut it. I think his slugging percentage is like two fifty six. like that. Yep. That doesn't work. So, no. and he's, he's had tons of chances and I know he's been hurt. I mean, it's, I'd rather see Daniel Johnson out there right now. I'd rather even see Oscar Mercado a little bit more, but like I'm not sold that any of these are the right answers. And that kind of segues us into what I was going to get to, which was the thing that all these ups and downs and the lack of clarity is going to make the trade deadline really interesting because I think I could see them just standing pat and doing nothing just because again, they who knows what this team actually is. Um, but I think you could make a case for trading Cesar Hernandez and seeing if there's any reason to trade Eddie Rosario. I think you could make a case for trying to acquire a long-term pre arbitration type position player or even pitcher. I think, I think anything and everything and nothing is on the table. Um, (laughs) And I just I think the way we've gotten to this point here in the first week of July has kind of not complicated the process, but at least has forced them to consider and entertain any and everything. Whereas maybe if the season would have gone a different way, they could have been a little bit more hyper-focused.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's tough as you go around the diamond looking for answers. Do you have a long-term answer in left field? Nope. you have a long-term answer in center field? Nope. Do you have a long-term answer in right field? N- closer there than the other two positions. And Harold Ramirez looks like a nice piece to have. But I don't know if he's a long-term starting corner outfielder. Around the diamond on the infield? Third base? Sure. For the next two years at least. Shortstop? N- not necessarily. Second base? Take your pick. <laughs> There's like 11 options. But none of them have proven anything yet. And Outside of Ahmed right. Rosario, who the downside there is the defensive part of, of his of his profile second base. No first base. Maybe you're inching closer with Bobby Bradley to at least a guy that, you know, you're going to plug in there and get 25 to 30 home runs and catcher. Okay. <laughs> like I, it's, that's what makes it tough. DH. Yeah. I, hey, I feel good about Franmil Reyes at DH that that's your guy. So, Hey, you did right. it. You filled a spot. You are right. And that this season to this point feels difficult to sum up nicely because, For it being so much about finding answers, you still have so very few of them. The Mm -hmm. saving grace is that they've gone out and still found a way to win games. And that's exciting. And there's growth there. And you certainly are enthusiastic about a couple of your bullpen pieces for the next several years. You still feel good about the foundation of your rotation, but there's still a lot of I don't know about this team. And that's what makes it tough. I as you head into the trade deadline, I think that there is going to be a move, but I don't I don't know if it impacts the Major League team. I don't know if it's just a prospect for prospect kind of thing. The Indians have been on the other end of that for the last couple of years. That's how they got Oscar Mercado, because you looked at teams that had some younger guys that they were going to want to put on their 40-man rosters, and the Indians said, hey, we know you have some guys in your upper minors that maybe are Somewhere between 4A and maybe Major League con- contributors at some point, we want to take a shot on those. We saw that with Tampa Bay, too, when they got Christian Arroyo. And then, of course, that didn't last very yeah. long with Hunter Wood. But, I mean, they have been ones to to take a, a team's upper-level talent and flip that for guys in the, the lower levels that don't need protected yet. And now the Indians are going to be in a position where they're on the other end of that. They have some guys in the upper levels that they're probably going to want to, if they can't answer questions on, they're going to want to move for something that's younger and delay that. And that comes to a question we got over at Patreon. One of our supporters had asked us a couple of weeks ago to describe the 40-man roster crunch that we keep talking about. We've been all over this for the last several weeks, if not months, but I wanted to take some time to establish why that's a, a possibility for the trade deadline, why that is something that they might consider. What does all of that mean?
1: Yeah, it's important. And I know it's been thrown out there plenty and maybe some people roll their eyes. Um, but it's, it's going to at least be something that front office takes into consideration. And I know for a fact, it's something that has kept them up at night. Um, what you had last year with no minor league season really mucked things up for teams because you missed out on a year of not even just development, but evaluation and having a good grasp for where every single player, not just in your system, but in other systems stand and being able to have a clearer projection of what they can become. And so the Indians aren't the only team dealing with this. Other teams are dealing with it too, but a team like the Indians that has 40 man roster spots devoted to the Bradley Zimmers and the Oscar Mercados and the Daniel Johnsons of the world guys who you know, shit or get off the pot. You gotta make a decision at some point on whether these guys are part of your future. That's it's what they did with Jake Bowers. And so you have a 40-man roster, and you your 40-man roster is usually full. And the rule five draft, any player who originally signed before his 19th birthday can be eligible for the rule five draft after his fifth professional season, and any player who signed after his 19th birthday is eligible after his fourth season. So what does that mean? Well, teams have to protect their eligible players um, by usually it's a late November deadline, about, what, two weeks before the Rule 5 draft that's held at the at the end of the winter meetings every year. And so the Indians have a long list of eligible players, and it's guys who were drafted um, or, or a lot of guys who were signed in the international front and it's really difficult because you're talking about certain guys who I mean, they're eligible after their fourth or fifth season. Well, sometimes these kids come over and they're 16, 17, 18 years old. And so you keep them at your, at your complexes and and let them learn the ropes. And then after a little while, then they can start playing in a short season. And like by the fourth year, maybe you're playing at Mahoning Valley or in Lynchburg or Lake County. Um, and I know Mahoney Valley doesn't exist anymore, but um, that's how it's been in the past. So, so it's tough. You, you get to your fourth or fifth year when you're eligible, and it's either okay, this guy's too far away, no team's going to take him, we don't need to protect him, or it's all right. We think this guy's going to be really good, so let's protect him. Um, or you've, I mean, you've seen cases like Anthony Santander, right? The Orioles took him, and I think it was surprising um, because he hadn't moved up the pipeline very far. And then he was pretty good for Baltimore. Or you have a guy like Kai Tom who had a really nice season at AAA and the Indians left him unprotected because he was low on the outfield totem pole and he didn't get taken. And then after not having a minor league season, then he did get taken. So um, it's, it's complicated, but the problem is that you have a lot of prospects who will at least garner consideration. Brian Rocchio, Aaron Bracho, George Valera, Jose Tana, Bo Naylor, Richie Palacios, Tyler Freeman, Joey Cantillo, Robert Broom, Cody Morris, Adam Scott, uh, Jonathan Rodriguez, John Kensey, Noel, who no one had heard of until this season. And now he's just like a hulking slugger who's incredible. I mean, there are a lot of guys and you won't be able to protect all of them. So do you risk losing them in the rule five draft for nothing? Leaving them unprotected? Do you try to package some of them in a trade? Um, do you try to trade some of them for even younger guys who aren't Rule 5 eligible yet? It's tricky. And what makes it more complicated is that you don't have a full scope of where they stand because they didn't play in a minor league season last year. And the other teams and their scouts have even less of a clear picture of where they stand. So if, they're, if you're going to try to package three or four of those guys for one big leaguer who can help you, well, that team needs to be confident in its evaluation of those three or four guys who you're willing to trade, so you must feel a certain way about them. And they didn't see them play last year either. And so it's it's really, really tricky. And this is why, I mean, just this the complexity of this answer here explains why the Indians front office is taking this so seriously. So th- that's that's why. And I think it's important when we talk about the trade deadline a lot of people are still stuck in the buyers versus sellers. Oh, man, if they lose another series, they're going to just be selling. That's not how it works. Most teams don't operate that way. You know, the Indians could absolutely trade Cesar Hernandez, but then go and trade for a position player who can help them.
0: Um, yeah.
1: I, th- it's, I think it's the Twins are a so good example of way.
0: that, too. The, t- yeah. the Twins, they have some guys that are on expiring contracts. It would make sense because they're not coming back in this division. They're not winning a wild card. Trade those guys away. But are are they in a position where they want to go full rebuild? I don't think so. I wouldn't think. So you hold on to the guys that you're still maintaining for multiple years, but you're kind of doing a revamp on the fly, Re- a rebuild, but only with guys that are on expiring deals. And and that's where they don't fit. Everyone keeps talking about, the, oh, they'll be a clear seller. Well, with the right pieces, I think so. And maybe if you knock them their socks off on a guy that they have multiple years of control on, maybe they'll consider it. But it's not as, as black and white, just like you said. There are teams that are going to operate. On, on both ends of the spectrum. Sure, there are some teams that will not. They'll just be sellers or they'll just be buyers. But those teams in that weird middle ground are, are thinking about where they exist in their, we don't like the term, but their contention window, they're going to be thinking outside the box. It won't just be, oh, we'll just everything must go. This is a, a sale and you can take everything you want. And what you're explaining with the 40-man roster, it's why I think we're going to see some moves. I don't know if they're going to be On the major league roster, I don't know if they'll just be in the minor leagues. I don't know if it'll be a combination of both. But I think we're going to see some activity because they know that this is looming. And other teams know that too. They know which teams are out there that have some roster manipulation that needs to be done before the offseason begins. And you center in on maybe a guy that had a prospect pedigree a couple of years ago that hasn't blossomed. And you think, I'm going to give that guy a chance because I've got an opportunity. He needs at-bats. I can make that work or you see someone that you had liked in the draft and they've been with that other team. Maybe they're switching positions. I think of Oscar Mercado was a great example of that. He was moving to center field. There were some things to like. He had good speed, but he was clearly not going to stick around in that organization, so the Indians were eager to make that swap. That's the sort of deals that they'll that they'll be looking at and the, the fans will see on <laughs> around the trade deadline and go, what, what? Prospects for prospects, why did that happen? Well, I think a lot of it's going to be fueled by that that 40-man roster crunch that's looming. It, it might not be three young guys for a proven major leaguer, but that's also on the table. And you keep bringing up swaps with the Pirates, but they're a team that might make sense because they consider themselves three, four years away from starting their upswing. And if you think you've got a number of guys that aren't quite 40-man roster ready, that might—that's where that that sort of marriage might make sense for a major league piece with some control. So it's interesting, but I don't think it's going to be—I don't think it's going to be a quiet deadline for them just because of of what they have looming.
1: Pirates fans are not pleased with me for mm-hmm. even suggesting that they should trade Brian Reynolds, but I've never understood that. If you can you can get more for him yeah. a, as time passes, you can get less and less, right? Generally, There's yes. A for a player, yeah, you, you get more for him when he's got three and a half years of control or what is it? four and a half, four and a half years. Well, think then about center got- fielders.
0: What, what, what are they? They're in center field because they have speed, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what goes down the hill pretty much from the, from the moment that they sign their speed, their range. So you talk about a center fielder a, at a guy that's 26 going to, and is hitting like he is, he's at the peak of his value. It, I would think unless he makes major changes to his hitting profile, the value only goes down because once he moves to a corner, he's not as valuable. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Pirates
1: fans don't like that. Well, and they've traded for teenagers. So you want your talent to arrive at the major league level, not necessarily all at the exact same time, but a similar time. You know, if you're going to trade Brian Reynolds for a bunch of triple a guys who are 24, that's not really going to make sense when you're that the glut of your farm system is
0: 18, 19, 20 year olds. But Hey, well, I mean, in in your trade, I mean, why, why would you, position Bradley Zimmer as the centerpiece why would you do that (laughs) oh he needed. He said they needed and they needed a placeholder they said take
1: Johnson or Mercado or Zimmer yeah that was like the fourth piece
0: in the deal (laughs) Zach did a uh a a trade walk through with the the Pirates writer for the athletic trying to find a trade evaluation and that why did it end so promptly I mean it just it was over I was was just just getting started
1: (laughs) yeah and then Pirates fans were like oh Zach's just operating like this is fantasy football <laughs> and just throwing out names and not explaining who these people are. And I said, look, I just wanted to get to a point where we could narrow in on a, a few players. And then I would be glad to do some in-depth analysis, but our pirates writer was not thrilled, ended the negotiations pretty quickly. Um, and so no deal. That's too bad. That's just also well, keep in mind my three years it. ago, we correctly predicted Francisco Mejia for Brad Hand. Um, I don't remember when in July we were able to conceptualize that and manifest it. Um, I don't know about you. I don't have any sort of visions
0: yet that have been established, No, no, but uh, we'll work on it. We have time. Well, that one was, I felt like that one was a little easier because the Indians had a clear need. You had a team that was absolutely ready to move him. There was no question that he was going to be on the block. That just made too much sense. The Indians don't have a clear need. It's not, they've, they saw Brad hand and they said similar to what they thought with Andrew Miller were one lockdown reliever away from just really being a, a team that's capable of making some noise in the postseason. They were off on that, but that was their, uh, their thought, their evaluation. Well, there's, there's no, there is no one position that you can look at this year and say, well, they're this one piece away from can actually contending for the division. Oh, fine. Just, it seemed like such an impressive feat. And now you've
1: made it seem like anybody could have done that.
0: Yeah, you're right. We, we, we got that. Just pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Well, if you want to do some evaluation, I'm hip to that. But let's not focus on trades. Let's focus on the guys that are currently in this rotation. We did this exercise several weeks ago. I want you to take the five guys that are currently in the rotation. Mejia, Henches, Allen, Morgan, Quantrill. I want you to rank them based on so far what you've seen. Know that this can change in any minute based on any start because that's how the evaluations go. One pitch, one inning can change your complete outlook on a guy's career. A little facetious there. Just based on what you've seen to this point, tell me about those guys, your excitement level, and rank them in in some sort of order. You don't want Tristan McKenzie in this conversation? No, I'm only talking about the five guys because Tristan – you know he's going to get another shot at some point. But I'm not weighing him against these five. These are the five guys that are up here right now. And I want you to rank them based on long-term outlook, even things you've seen in the short term, just guys that you think will stick around and you're excited to see more of.
1: Hmm. Okay. Number one, do you want me to go in
0: which order? Worst to first, first to worst? Hmm. You want a rock, paper, scissor? No, wait, that was the other show. Why don't you go worst to first? I can't believe that we... Would we tie three times in a row? (laughs) That was not planned. That's that's unbelievable. That's how that works. That game's crazy. All right, worst to first? Totally unpredictable. Yeah, worst to first.
1: (sighs) Okay, I'll start... I can't believe this is my... This is... I'm surprising myself here. I'm going to go Logan Allen fifth. Um, I... Look, he was a top 100 prospect. He has some of the stuff and Logan Allen
0: worst, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you said Logan Allen first as in the first guy you were going to say, just want to make sure you weren't saying first (laughs) as in the number one guy. I'm saying a little confused. Now you're confused. It's a first. Okay.
1: Got it. Okay. Logan Allen. I, I, I don't know. It almost seems like he needs to hit the reset button and like come back next year. I'm not saying don't pitch for the next few months, but he went down to triple a and never really had a chance to work out the kinks. He was hurt. Then they rushed him back up cause they needed a pitcher. Um, and so I, we haven't really seen what, what is the package here? What, what can he provide? So I'm not really sure what he, he's the guy that I'm really not sure what to make of him. I know he was excited about his off season transformation and his work with his secondary stuff, but I, I just, it's, it's been a tough year for him and it's not all his fault. I would put him fifth. Um, I'll go, I'll go Eli Morgan fourth. I I think he can provide some value. Um, I, I hate that anytime someone doesn't throw hard, we just automatically, and they're not the most imposing physical specimen. We automatically just say, Oh, that's Josh Tomlin, (laughs) but he reminds me of Josh Tomlin a little bit, and maybe he can stick as a back end guy, or that Adam Plucko role where he's just bouncing up and down i seventy one. But I think he's the type of guy who Terry Francona a couple years from now is just going to rave about, and play cribbage with, and say that he pours his guts out there, um, not in Chris Perez fashion. Yeah, wouldn't so, recommend that. Literally. This will surprise people. I'm gonna go Sam Hentges third, and but I'm gonna say because I think he could be a really good reliever. It it hasn't clicked as a starter, and I don't know that we've seen any progress since he was first in the rotation. Whether that it's been two months now, but he's had I mean like he had a really good first inning the other night against Houston, and then just the second inning it fell apart. So okay, stick him in the bullpen once you get some guys back let him throw 97 and just go one, maybe two innings at a time. I'm still excited about that. And I think he could, especially if you, you aren't requiring him to face hitters more than once. And um, he can just attack and attack instead of worrying about how am I going to get through five innings? I think there's potential there. I'll put him third, even though I know most people would probably have him fifth. JC Mejia second. Uh, if you take away the two starts where he didn't get out of the first inning, and I know you can't just take those away. He's been pretty good. Um, gets ground balls, has decent stuff, and just looks like he can chew up a ton of innings, which is exactly what they need right now. So I'll have him second. Quantrill first. I, I None of these, like, I don't know what to make of any of these people. Um, he's the guy with the pedigree and the track record, suggests he should be decent. But then he... Gets roughed up against the Tigers and comes back on short rest against the Astros and pitches really well. So he's confounding, um, but he Short has rest, stuff. that's the key. <laughs> yeah, I guess. He seems like he's got, I mean, a rubber arm and just needs to put away hitters better. That, that's kind of what he and Francona and Carl Willis have said. So yeah. I'd put him first, but you'd obviously love to see more consistent. If you get more consistency from him, then he's a mainstay.
0: Yeah, I, I a lot of what you said I agree with there. Re- working in reverse order, you are on the same page with Logan Allen being last. Not that I don't think he can't be a, a decent Major League starter. I mean, how do you... It's not just results-oriented in spring training. He just threw the ball better in spring training, too. I mean, he looked like... The stuff looked like a different version of himself. Some of that's just because we saw him hurt. And I don't know how much of what was it, a three-start stretch before he got sent to the minors? How much of that was just because he wasn't right? We, the velocity wasn't as crisp. He, the stuff didn't have quite the same bite to it. He just he looked a lot more human in those those starts before he got sent down and then ultimately put on the injured list. So I would just like to see him get back to being healthy, and maybe that's where we can have a more accurate representation of what he actually is. Fourth, I'll go henches. And I'm with you. I think long-term, I I understand why you want to keep him stretched out, why you don't want to just give up on it immediately. But I don't think just putting a guy in those one-to-two-inning things long-term, why that has to be a, a death sentence for his starting career. The Indians have done this before with guys where you put them in situations where they think that you can make them thrive. And for him, maybe it's just one inning at a time. And then if he is showing an ability to handle that, maybe you build it back out. I mean, it's kind of what they were already doing with Quantrill before the injuries thrust all these guys into the rotation. And I want to be clear here, there's a difference between the ideal and what they're forced to do. Right now, they don't have a lot of other options. I've seen people attack pitching change decisions and why guys are starting on short rest and what's best for long-term evaluations of guys. And all of that is fine. Absolutely, you are right about a lot of those those things that you're analyzing, but right now, there's a huge difference between things you want to do and things you're forced to do. I like Henches as a future bullpen weapon, not seeing enough starting-wise. I don't know if the command is going to be there enough, so just go put him in those short outings and, and see what happens, and if he is getting things done there and you want to expand off of that, I'm comfortable with that. Here's where things got a little bit difficult for me, and I think I'm going to go... Put Mejia third. I like the stuff. I think long-term there is an ability here to be, a, a, if nothing more, a, a back-end starter, fourth or fifth guy. I think the the ability to keep the ball on the ground and the fact that he can throw the ball 94 miles per hour with that heavy sink, that's all very exciting. I don't think he's quite – he doesn't quite have the, the stamina, I think, to be able to keep that stuff. Throughout games, even we saw in the most re- recent outing, he goes from throwing 94, 95 down to like 92 as he's piling up the pitches. So some of that's just an ability to to get stretched out and and, and be able to make it through a, a lineup a third time. So there's, there's some things to like. I really like some of his profile. I think long-term he is a starter, but right now there's a couple of guys I just like a little bit more. And where I get to second is where we're going to have some difference. There's something about Eli Morgan that, I I don't know if I can quantify what it is, but there's just something. Can Can you tell me what it is? Is it just the command? Is it just is there something about him that I just can't quantify? That I have some faith in his ability to be a major league starter without that elite velocity? He would excel on global guts. Is that what you're saying? Something like that. He could conquer the aggro crag. <laughs> I don't like just saying that there's something unquantifiable or a fact that a guy is unafraid or all those those old adages that get tossed around broadcasts that you kind of roll your eyes about. But theres I do feel like there's something about him and his ability. And maybe it's just putting the ball where he wants. Maybe it is the the changeup that's been pretty good. I'm seeing flashes there of something that I don't, I don't know if it shows up in the numbers, but I think he can be better than than, uh, some sort of stuff report would suggest. Does that make any sense? I don't feel like it makes any sense.
1: No, it does. Not everything can be... Placed in a spreadsheet. I don't like out. that.
0: Exactly like that. I want to be able to sort and just use data. I don't like having to use my brain and my eyes. Those things lie to me all the time. As Terry Francona often reminds us, these are still human beings. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I just have a little bit more faith in him right now than I do some of the other guys. And the number one is Cal Quantrill, and it comes back to just wanting to be right in spring training. That's really it all it's about. Even if he was terrible right now, I would still be standing behind him. Hold on, hold on. We just need some more time. Just everybody calm down. But you see bits and pieces. You, you do see, I mean, when he's he's even throwing the ball on short rest, he's at 90 pitches and people are going, what in the hell is happening? The ball gets hit for the two-run home run. It's still 95 at the top of the zone. Some of that is just good hitting a good approach from a guy that killed them all weekend. I like that he's maintaining that and he's, he is getting stretched out. He's clearly not a finished product. He's still capable of having outings where he just loses it for stretches, and sometimes it's the command that betrays him. But, I, I, I yeah, the two-seamer, four-seamer, you can get it up there, 94, 95, 96, deep into games. It is just about finding that secondary offering that's going to be the out pitch for him because guys are capable of fouling pitches off, and then maybe he will. Throws enough out of the strike zone that he becomes a little bit more predictable. I like that he dropped in more of the curveball in, in some of his in his last start. I thought that was key to him just getting guys off of the two seamer and the four seamer and being a little bit less predictable. And, and that'll just happen as time evolves. But I think you're seeing bits and pieces there of a guy that can be a pretty I don't I don't know if he's a top of the rotation guy, that sort of ceiling, but I, I think we're seeing enough that he can be a productive, if nothing else, mid rotation sort of guy. Well, and think about what this rotation would look like this, what this conversation would sound like
1: if you had Bieber, Plesak and Savali at the top. I think Quantrill and Mejia is your four and five. You'd be fine with that. Or if you have to mix in Morgan, right? I think you, you could live with that. And then, and then you can have McKenzie and Allen and Henthes figuring things out at triple A and you call upon them when you're ready. Now teams need more than five starters and perfect health is a myth. So you can't just say, well, when they get those guys back, everything will be great. Cause it, it's never so simple, but things devolved so quickly that you're relying on all these guys. <laughs> yeah. You have an entire rotation at the same made time. of these guys. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> these are the guys that they currently have. And they're trying to, as we said at the time, are you going to learn anything about these guys? Let me ask you, do you feel like you're learning anything about these guys, even in a less than ideal environment thrown into the, the fire, the way that they have been?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's why you just hope you get to the end of the season and you can feel good about a couple of these guys. And because also you, if you don't have to trade for a starting pitcher, I think that's ideal because you also have several spots on the field that you need to address, maybe via trade. So I don't know. There's a lot to figure out with this roster and there will be so many more moving parts. And I mean, I think the off season is going to be fascinating. But first, you have the trade deadline. And I think yeah. everything
0: is in need at the moment. You know, there's one positive to come out of the weekend, though, as far as the Indians are concerned. The white outline on the Block C caps, where has that been? Well, that was the July 4th special cap. Right. But i like that? You
1: want that permanent?
0: I'm asking, where is that white outline around the sea? Now, it wasn't the, the same red because it has the design in there for the 4th of July Independence Day celebration, but I thought the caps popped when you put the white outline around the C, part of my problem with the black C with the way that it is, God, we're getting into uniform discussion. Part of for my problems that won't even exist. And I know, but just, months. just keep this yeah. in mind. Keep this in mind for when you're, whatever you're doing with the new uniforms. I don't like that the C those two colors, the blue and red, they sort of bleed together visually. And so I don't see a distinction between the two but when you put the just the white outline around the sea that thing pops i'm telling okay. you it looks it looks fantastic and i don't know where it's been they, they do this on several of the special edition caps why is this not a thing why was it never a thing total misstep
1: i i don't know i mean i what do you think about a logo for the hazards outlined in white i don't think it's gonna happen man
0: i will not give up i don't think it's gonna happen what is going to happen? You ready? A random Cleveland any of the day. Oh, I've got some 40. good random Jersey sightings recently. I mean, you had the, the granddaddy of them all. What was it? Uh, two, three weeks ago now? Chris Magruder. Yeah, we've been waiting for that one patiently or not so patiently. You texted me that <laughs> I forget what you said. I, I had no idea what you were sending me, but you said <laughs> something that like, like we did it. We finally did it. I thought... <laughs> I thought we landed on Mars? Like the, your excitement level, Chris McGruder jersey. Oh my gosh, that might be better than landing on Mars. So I hope we haven't done this one before. But if we have, just forget about it. <clears throat> Memory stick that thing. This man spent his 2008 season with the Cleveland Indians. Oh jeez. The 2008 season was his final season in Major League Baseball, in which he spent parts of eight years with one, two, three, four, five, six different teams. So had a. Long major league career in some ways, but over, those, no, over those eight years, here's where things get mind boggling to me. He spent parts of eight years in the major leagues. He only put together 278 career plate appearances huh. to spend eight years in the major leagues and never get more than 72 plate appearances in any one of those seasons is crazy to me. 174 career games. He, in 2008, spent seven games with Cleveland. He got to the plate nine times. has how ridiculous this sounds, yes. this request. Hey, name this guy who played for a week with the But Indians you know what? He, he has a recognizable name and plays a prominent role with a major league organization now. So it's Whoa. not like a complete nobody. In those nine plate appearances, he put together a slash line of 375, 444, 500, Whoa, why'd they get rid of him? I know, he should have played a lot more. He went out on top. <laughs> yeah, 944 OPS with Cleveland. 53% above the league average OPS in that season. Mike Redmond. No, he was a right-handed hitter. And throughout his career, played middle infield and third base. Was a utility guy, utility infielder. Hector Luna. No. Lou Merloney. No. In his career, he spent time with Cleveland, Toronto, San Diego, Tampa Bay, Oakland, and New York. The Mets. Wait, say those again. Mets, A's, Rays, Padres, Blue Jays, and Indians. Joe Inglot. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. no. Josh Barfield. No, no, no,
0: no. He played way more than that. That was 07. Nope.
1: Forget I said that. I, that. That is so
0: embarrassing. Okay, I forgot about it.
1: Um... The prominent role thing is throwing me off. I wish you didn't say that. <laughs> what was his middle name?
0: His middle name was or is
1: uh, Luis. Oh, Anderson Hernandez. Nope. Uh, I can't believe I said Josh Barfield. That is so embarrassing.
0: Um, he was drafted. Let's see here. Oh, he must not have been drafted. This is he was riveting signed. radio.
1: Um. I don't know. I guess I'm stumped.
0: Let's go with the transactions. Let's see if we can find something notable that happened in his career. He was signed by the Tigers as an amateur free agent in 1992. Traded by the Tigers with Scott Livingston to the Padres for Gene Harris. It was one of the more notable May deals in 1994. Traded by the Padres with Doug Bochtler, Bochtler to the Athletics for David Nuhon and Don Wengert. Don Wanger gave up Jim Tomey's 511 foot home run. Now here how about this? 1999. How about this? In 2000, traded by the Oakland Athletics to the New York Mets for some dude named Nelson Cruz. Huh. Never traded again, just released and signed a whole bunch. Do you give up? And would you like to know would you like to know his more prominent role now? At this Yeah, point? what's his role now? Or would you like to know his name? No, his role Okay. He currently is the, let me make sure that I got this right. I can't believe I said Josh Barfield, the starting second baseman in 07. He is the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I
1: usually thought that role went to some 27 year old brainiac from.
0: (laughs) Well, you got Sam Fold. You got Sam Fold there with Philadelphia. So he's got a former player under under him there, hired in December of last year. All week. right, let me hear it. Jorge Valendia. Oh, jeez, I never would have gotten that. No, but that's a name you have heard before. Not a complete nobody there, at least I think.
1: I mean, I have no recollection of that human being wearing an Indian's uniform. <laughs> um,
0: well, there's I've nine seen- plate
1: appearances where he was pretty damn good, so... I've seen his name when <laughs> scouring the rosters to find a random inning in the day for <laughs> you. So
0: congratulations. Uh, well, it's better than Josh Barfield. Ugh. You can subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Find us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And join us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. I'm out of words. What words do you got? Uh, I'm going to start a GoFundMe
1: because we're going to need tens of thousands of dollars (laughs) to pay for the Tom Petty that you just had to start the
0: podcast with. I, I don't know what you're talking about. For Zach, I'm TJ. We are out of here. We'll see you later this week. Bye.